0: the action researcher says, hmm, how does this help me now? What do I need to look at next to help me more? Or did this create more problems that I need to think about?
1: You're listening to the Happy Doc Student Podcast, a podcast dedicated to providing clarity to the often mysterious doctoral process. Do you feel like you're losing your mind? Let me and my guests show you how to put more joy in your journey and graduate with your sanity, health, and relationships intact. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Frederick, and this is episode 45. In today's show, I welcome back Lania Rademacher. She holds a Ph.D. in curriculum and instruction from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and is a professor in the EDD program in organizational leadership at Abilene Christian University. She also serves as the current chair of the American Educational Research Association Action Research Special Interest Group and hosts a podcast called Action Research Global Conversations. Linnea has written courses for master's and doctoral students in qualitative and action research, both face-to-face and online. She and her writing partner will be publishing a book on the merging of action research and evaluation for practitioners and organizational leaders in 2022.
0: Linnea, welcome to the show. Heather, thank you for having me. We've known each other quite a long time. It's good to see you. Yes, we
1: have. And it's great to have you back.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.
1: I am so excited about today's episode because I personally have never done action research. And I remember first learning about the term years and years ago and going, huh, action research, this sounds interesting. I wonder what that is. And immediately kind of it conjured up these images of researchers and superhero capes. I mean, just the phrase action research and so cool, right? <laughs>
0: I love that superhero. I don't think anybody's ever said that to me. That's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: And the catalyst for getting you on today's show was a couple months ago, someone in clubhouse said, Hey, do you have any episodes on action research? And I knew this was a huge field. You yourself have a whole podcast dedicated to Mm -hmm. action research. And I'll link that in the show notes. I -hmm. thought this would be a great opportunity to just bring you on And for the doc students out there that have never heard of this before, or maybe have just heard a little bit about it, maybe come across it as they were doing their literature review, just give them a glimpse into what this is and how it plays out in real life.
0: Okay, that sounds good. I mean, that's that's a good place to start. And I have a lot of doc students that I mentor and some of them are enamored with action research and some are like, no, I don't want to do that. that." So it's not meant to be for everyone, but I think it is a good way to explore your own context. So maybe I should start by saying what I think the definition of action research is. And there's a lot of different definitions out there. So I want to encourage people to do a little background search and search for some of those things. And you can find them on the website for the the SIG that you're going to talk about that I'm chair of. But action research is really where we discover a problem in our context, or we know something's not working the way we want it to work. And we decide to explore as a practitioner what that is, what's going wrong. Hey, maybe this will solve it. And we try an intervention, we try something, and we see if that gave us the results that we're looking for. And the idea of action research is taking action. So we we intervene, we study it, we take some data, and we analyze that data, and we find out the results. And that. Oftentimes, we'll bring up new questions. Well, that didn't work. Maybe we need to try something else. Or it worked for some, like if you're a teacher, it worked for some of the students, but it didn't work for everybody. Maybe I need to try something else. So there is a cyclical nature to the paradigm of action research. And I use that word paradigm because I think of action research as a way of thinking about your practice, a way of approaching your practice with a questioning and reflective manner, whether you're in an organization or in a classroom. So it really is nutshell. more than
1: it really is more than just a method. As I started yes. to do a little research preparing for today's podcast, I'm like, wow, this is a whole way of thinking.
0: Yes. Yes, because action researchers use quantitative data, they use qualitative data or they will mix it. If you're in a school, you might use assessments that are part of the state requirements and you might use observational data that you gathered in class, it's not about that. It's about your frame of mind of I can solve this in my context or I can explore it and research it in my context. And I believe anyone can do that.
1: And one of the things that really stuck out to me in terms of, well, how is this different from some of the other things that students might be learning in their research course, is often, I'm coming from the field of psychology, we think of the researcher as this observer, kind of not really getting embedded so much into the research. And in this paradigm, you kind of flip that on its head a little, don't you? Exactly.
0: You are part of it. You are experiencing the problem that's going wrong, and you are trying to solve it in your context. It's very personal.
1: Which requires a lot of courage. Sure, I would it think. does,
0: especially in, you know, again, I'm going to use the example of schools because that's my background as in education. In schooling environments today, it's really hard to be a teacher who says, This is the data I collected and analyzed, and this is what I believe will work because there's so much power coming from down on top that tells teachers what to do and when to do it. It's really hard to have that voice. And so the more you can learn about the technical aspect of the research methods, the stronger your voice can be and the more self-empowered you'll feel to make those changes.
1: You know what I would love at this point is you bring up the field of education. Would you mind sharing with the listeners maybe one of the studies that you were involved in or that you've heard about to just kind of give this method some vivid
0: technicolor? I would love to. My favorite example is my friend Kathy who when we lived in Illinois, used to live down the street and we were friends because our sons were the same age. And she was a special ed teacher in elementary school. And I was working at the local university and, and we were just floating around in her pool one day. And she said, you know, I have this problem in my classroom and she knew what I did. So it wasn't an out of context conversation and i i was thinking maybe i could do an action research project about it and she was so hesitant and i not being an evangelical was like well i could i could help you with that i i could help you you know <laughs> not wanting to pushy. So we ended up doing this project, pulled in the classroom teacher. We wrote about it in a book, a couple chapters in a book talking about our experiences. And the, the project was about helping special ed students in their reading class, right? And so she had a variety of special ed students. And so the whole project really evolved into both a learning experience for them And empowerment for the students, because the the realization flipped on its head during the project, realizing what they needed to do, which is part of that reflective stance, and realizing that the quantitative data they thought they were going to collect wasn't as helpful as the qualitative observations they were making about the students and how the students were changing their feelings and their attitudes about school. And it spread out through the whole classroom, not just the special ed students, but the whole inclusion classroom they were in. And then eventually, they presented to the whole school and then the whole district and then the region and then they took it to the state. So this was not only empowering for those eight special ed students that it started out to be, but the teachers, and really it went statewide.
1: And as you were describing how that kind of unfolded, it sounds like you you started by saying action research isn't for everybody. This really takes a person who is nimble and agile and okay with some ambiguity, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, I think probably our relationship as friends really helped that agility helped both of them to to realize that they could do this when it came time to the analysis for example they were very very hesitant and they wanted me to just do the analysis and i you know i was hesitant about that because i just felt like it wouldn't have as much meaning unless they knew what was going on and so i really s- stood back as a facilitator and helped them to understand some of the nuances what they were looking at, what their questions were, and and helped them answer the actual questions they had and not the ones they thought they were supposed to have because it's a research project, right? It was very empowering. And I just thought that was one of the most humbling, wonderful experiences I had as a participatory action researcher. So that's one of those terms. If you start doing some, some background research into action research, you'll th- see things like collaborative action research, critical participatory action research, and I think those terms are important because very often we don't work alone in our context. We work with other people, and that collaboration can be very strengthening.
1: And I can see so many different fields. I'm thinking, oh, there's probably business students out there in applied programs thinking about organizations or clinicians working with a team or mm-hmm. you know, in organizations like the prisons. Yes. And I'm curious when students, you said you have a number of different students, when students take this on, does it look different or are they really going through the same process? It sounds like it could be quite lengthy.
0: It is lengthy, but it really depends on, I have a student right now who is doing community development in another country using collaborative action research. It is lengthy. It's lengthy because of the process of getting a dissertation approved of helping people who've never heard of action research understand what you're trying to do and why the collaboration and the action research part is so important to the purpose of the research. IRB is a whole nother field that if you're a doc student, you know what IRB is, and you have to go through that ethics approval. Fortunately, I was the IRB liaison for him and the program. So it was a little bit easier for him. But my advice to doc students, if you want to do this is to find someone who is familiar with IRB protocols to help you walk you through how you can explain this really clearly to your IRB reviewer.
1: Yeah, one of the episodes I listened to was a student. It was one of your podcast episodes and she talked about how she was in the IRB for a year. It was worthwhile, but she got stuck in the IRB for a year. So these are things where it's kind of like buyer beware. If you're going to do this, know a potential hurdle that you'll have here and be prepared up front.
0: I know which episode you're talking about. I think that was due to a couple of things. And she raised those on the podcast dealing with minors and then dealing with another country. Both of those two things add to the risk because you're like, and we were in a pandemic. So she was doing virtual research. So you're like, okay, how do we really protect these minor children? So yeah, it was a little bit, it was
1: lengthy. Yeah, and I think that's something that is a good thing for people to start thinking about, as they're kind of mulling around
0: potential topics. Mm -hmm. It just takes a little bit more planning. It takes a lot of clear explanation. Like your chair is having you rewrite things a million times in your proposal. When you get to IRB, you're probably going to have to do that too, because you have to make it really clear. So
1: when we think about action research for a doctoral project or dissertation, I'm thinking there might be some listeners out there going, wow, research where I really get to solve a problem. I mean, it sounds so appealing. I think most people go into education because they want to make real change. Right. right and so right. wow there's this method i've never even heard of it where you get to ask these questions about how to make the process better and and as you're collecting the data if something else pops up you're not constrained to you know right. your experimental your control group you get to use right. that stuff that's happening and unfolding naturally through this human experience i'm assuming some people might be listening going i want to do that but i've heard you on many episodes say well you don't pick action research and then create your study. That's kind of putting the cart before the horse. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about that.
0: Sure. That's a great question. I I do tell students, you need a really clear problem statement and then an aligned purpose statement before you choose your method and the questions you have drive the method. But if your questions lie in that contextual problem solving arena, there's a good chance that you're probably going to be able to do an action research study. The difference with a teacher in a a practical context doing an action research project and a doc student is that a doc student has these requirements of grounding that problem or that significance in the research literature. What's happened before? What do we still not know? Whereas a teacher, you're like, this is my class this year. This is what I don't know. And that's legitimate. For a doc student, there is a a little bit more burden on you to provide that significance in the research and to show where those holes are. So it can't just be a problem in your context. That can be a starting point, but then you have to justify it. That's why I like to think of it as a paradigm. I do think that looking at our context with a questioning reflective lens is something that leads to that kind of cyclical nature. I mean, you know, as a psychologist, we're going to try an intervention. We're going to have a a control group and an experimental group, and it's going to work for some maybe, but it's not going to work for everybody. The actual researcher comes to the end of that project says, what next?
1: Let's unpack that.
0: Yeah. What do I do next? I mean, I, I think experimental researchers and others in traditional research do have that perfunctory recommendations for future research. When I read them from some of my students who are in qual and quant studies, they're usually perfunctory. I think that people should look at this from the perspective of other participants, or I think you should look at this intervention and maybe add this aspect to it to make it a double intervention. The action researcher says, hmm, how does this help me now? What do I need to look at next to help me more, or did this create more problems that I need to think about? So the problem is definitely contextually tied, whereas it isn't always another research. You know, we have a a concept called pure research, whereas you're looking at something from a theoretical or philosophical stance. Action research is very contextually based.
1: And you know what I'm thinking When I first found out about action research and I popped those key terms in the library, not a lot of studies came up. And as I was preparing for this podcast episode, I think something that I saw, and I'm wondering if this is what's happening, is because a lot of people who are doing this research are practitioners in the field, they're just kind of keeping going, maybe not so much concerned about stopping and getting it published in a peer-reviewed journal so that maybe they're not, it's happening, but maybe more than we think it might be happening because we're not reading about it in the journals like we're reading about other methods.
0: 100%. This is something we as uh, scholars that work in academia talk about a lot who are in action research. How can we support practitioners to get published? I do think it helps to have dissertation students who are doing it. But, uh, you know, my student, when I worked with my friend and her fellow teacher, That was the last thing in their mind, was publishing. And so we did a very accessible type of publishing. So Heather Latimer, who was at the time at University of San Diego, was putting together a very practical practitioner-oriented book on action research, people who had done action research in the field. And so she asked me to write a chapter, and I ended up writing with Kathy and Laurel, two chapters about conceiving of the project. Which was a real struggle. How do we get this done? They were fortunate enough to have district support for action research in terms of it counting towards their tenure in the district. So that was nice to be able to turn that in as a project. But publishing was not on their mind. And so we wrote about it in very plain language, very, I don't, it's not dumb language. That's not what I mean. Plain language just means. Accessible, accessible to Accessible to a wide audience, yes, to, to a, a broad audience. I have to explain this a lot when I do IRBs because we have a readability level that people need to meet. And they're like, mean I need to dumb down my writing? No, that's not at all. It needs to be accessible to a broad audience. And so this book is very accessible. It's not a, loaded up with citations. We have a few in the introduction, but that wasn't the point. The point was for us to talk in narrative format about what we did and what it meant to us, and what we were going to do next. And so I think that's a good beginning. I've helped a couple people in the past conceive of publishing their action research. I was co-editor on a journal out of National Lewis University for a number of years, i.e. Inquiry in Education. So it was a publication that was online, open access, dedicated to action research. And there are some journals out there devoted to that. So I would encourage the student who's thinking about this To work with their librarian to find those journals that are devoted to action research, critical action research. There's one called Action Learning, there's one called Action Research out of the UK, and then there's another one here in the US. There's a Canadian Action Research Journal. Don't know if IE Inquiry Education is still published, but you can still access past issues. And looking for things like that, the Social Publishers Foundation is a nonprofit that is trying to help disseminate knowledge. That's, that's Lonnie Raul's favorite term, knowledge dissemination and knowledge democracy. And it's important because if you're not talking about what you did, others can't share and learn from you. So I do think it's important, not because of the scholarly publication part, but of getting the word out there about what you're doing, because it will have meaning to other people.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's always a heartbreak for me to see students spend so much time and effort on a project and then just let it sit there and think "Think of all the hours you spent on this and someone else could benefit. That really is the Mm -hmm. kernel of being a researcher and being a scholar practitioner, right, is to share what you've done to better
0: someone else's life. And I don't think it has to be a written publication. I think what Kathy and Laurel did in their district and in the state, sharing at, you know, professional development within their school and their district, and then going out to the regional and the state conventions was fantastic. Because think about all those educators who learned about what they were doing. I know that she said that the district ended up adopting the program that they used in their project across the whole district. So that was pretty exciting. I mean, that that's a big impact. Yeah. And I would say
1: teachers. nowadays, I mean, back in the day when you and I were <laughs> getting our degrees, it was kind of publish or perish. Like you had to be right. in these articles and the articles were right. tiered. Nowadays, we have podcasts. So on your podcast with global conversations, people are sharing what they're doing. We have yes. YouTubes. I know you talked about some training YouTubes that one of your colleagues has done.
0: Yes. Yeah, Margaret Ryle, emeritus professor from Pepperdine, and she's been very active in the action research world for decades. In her retirement, for five, she has a a Facebook page, Action Research Tutorials, but she also has a website and YouTube videos that are free learning videos on how to learn to do action research. So that's another avenue that practitioners can utilize. You know, there are a lot of books out there. I'm a bookophile, but that's not everybody's cup of tea and that's okay. There's so many resources out there. I highly recommend her tutorials. And I actually linked a few of them with her permission into the course that I wrote for duck students here at Abilene. And they're relevant and timely and short and accessible and really give you nuts and bolts of what to do next.
1: And as a teacher of this method, I'll work with you on the show notes to make sure if you're listening to this episode, and you're thinking, this is resonating with me. I think this is something I need to learn more about I'll make sure we've got links below, especially to your podcast. And there, there's another podcast out there specifically for Action
0: Research. Yes. Yes, the AR podcast, the Action Research podcast. And they, they're a lot more technically savvy than I am. And we did a mutual cross podcast sharing. And so I'll give you that link as well. So before we sign off, do you have any
1: final words of wisdom or thoughts that you... Love to share with people who are just kind of dipping their toes in the water when it comes to action research.
0: My advice is to look at some of the resources, listen to the podcasts, mine and the AR Pod out of Canada, listen to some of the videos and you can hear people talk about what they're doing, check out the Social Publishers Foundation. I'll give you that link as well in the show notes. They really are doing a great job of disseminating people's work. You know, you can write about your, your action research project in an essay blog type format, and it's a great way to get the word out there if you're still dipping your toes into the writing part of it. But they're very accessible if you're learning about it to read what's going on. If you're a doc student, you should be checking out handbooks. And so there's there's the Handbook of Educational Action Research, who is who passed away years ago, but that's a great one. And then the SAGE Action Research Handbook, which is in the professions. A lot of healthcare professions are using action research, especially the nursing profession. And then the Wiley Handbook, uh, edited by Craig Mertler, came out two years ago. I have a chapter in there. That's a great place to to check out information. So there are a lot of great resources and things to help you understand based upon how you learn and how you want to learn more about this.
1: And I'll be sure to have all that linked below. And, you know, in these changing times and everything that's going on socially, I think whether action research is something you do or you just learn about, it's it's very timely. It's a very timely method.
0: It's very timely. And like I said before, I think anyone can do research. Anyone can have a question that they want to answer. And how you answer it, there is a systematic process, but you can do it from your own context.
1: So whether this is something you think, hey, I want to check this out for my dissertation, or you think, wow, once I'm done, this is the first type of project I'm going to do as a doctor, I encourage you to check out all those links. And Linnea, thank you so much for spending time with us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. If you're enjoying the Happy Doc
1: Student Podcast, could I ask you a big favor? Would you be willing to rate, review and subscribe? It would help me get noticed by more people like you, people who know there is a better way to navigate the doctoral process. The Happy Doc Student Podcast is brought to you by ExpandYourHappy.com, and you can learn more there. One more thing just a quick reminder that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only.